0: bringing all the influences that create and deliver hospitality to us, the places around the world we enjoy. It begins with design, beautiful food, and a passion of bringing people together. Hospitality is about making people remember how they felt when visiting your space. It takes more than a village to make the magic happen. Hospitality Nations brings those magic makers to you.
1: So I am born and raised here in the Washington, DC area. I grew up kind of DC-ish. Both of my parents met working in government. My father is a lobbyist. You know, I grew up in a, you know, nice part of town, you know, pretty fortunate. And then I went to college at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, where I majored in creative writing. And (laughs) I majored in it because I really loved English and writing, but I obviously majored in it. I obviously did not pick my major based on what I hoped would be a successful career. I, I spent two summers in college working in a law firm in downtown DC because I was pretty sure I wanted to go to law school. And those two summers working in a downtown law firm led me to conclude that I don't know what I want to do, but I definitely don't want to go to law school and be a lawyer. And so then that left me as a graduate. You know, I couldn't afford to go to journalism school, even if I wanted to do that. I was sort of adrift. I didn't have a plan, but I desperately wanted to move out of my parents' house as a kid, tagging along with my dad at his uh, sort of you know fancy dinners. And I got a job in a bar, and I was in love. Three months later, I was a manager. I started out as a waiter and a bouncer then became the assistant general manager of one of the busiest bars in the DC area at the time. And I was, you know, 24 years old. And I mean, things were great, what but was it, it was the
0: called? Re- called? It's,
1: it's called the uh, Clarendon grill. And it just closed after 24 to over 20 years in business. I wrote a blog piece about it. It's on my website when it closed because it played such a pivotal part. It was such a huge part of my career because I met the owner there was a great mentor to me and continued to support me and invest in some of my later restaurants. And then I had met a friend who was an executive chef who was a first-generation French-American scrappy New England kid who was a, a chef who took the job in the bar to kind of elevate the food. And so I got to be side-by-side with someone who really knew what they were doing and kind of taught me the business and taught me why this was a serious craft and why food was important and all of that stuff that just made it to where I felt like there was nothing else I could do but this. But then I was thinking about getting married and I was like, this is not, I can't build a life around this. The the work is too hard. There's not enough money. The hours and lifestyle are not conducive to a healthy marriage from what I was watching around me. How do I find a way to do what I want to do on the terms that I I need to do them at? And so I was like, I need to be an owner. Um, I need equity. That's the only way to be, I think, really successful in our business and have a life. And so I sort of scratched and clawed and fought to try and get on that side of the table and leverage whatever connections I had and was able to with a partner purchase a franchise uh, for Five Guys um, Burgers and Fries, which at that time had, you know, 10 or 12 units in the area. It was started here in D.C. And we opened one and that let me be an owner. But I was like, I never want to be a franchisee. This sucks. I don't like being told what to do by the franchisors.
0: Um, Sorry, I have to laugh at that.
1: Yeah, it's okay. It's it's laugh worthy, you know. So some people become entrepreneurs because they're like, I got a great idea. Other people become entrepreneurs because they have a passion for that kind of path. Um, I became an entrepreneur because I was sort of directionless, but also I realized that I'm just not a very good employee. There is definitely something wrong with me there. That kind of led me to just not fit within that structure. So I, I feel like I became an entrepreneur because I had to. I love it. I don't wouldn't want to do anything else. But you know, my path was anything but direct. I mean, it was, it was very circuitous and and really the driving force for me has been this is what I want to do. How do I build a system in which I can do it? and I've, there's been a lot of sacrifice along the way. You know, I, if I had taken a more linear path, I think I could probably be in a very different you know position, but I'm not sure that I would be happy. And, um, you know, that was kind of the driving force. So didn't want to be a franchisee, neither did my partner. So we sold it, got really lucky on the timing because the brand was exploding. So our, store was worth a lot more than it was kind of when we built it and was sort of in demand. And, you know, that led me to open up a little bar called Spider Kelly's, which was 2,000 square feet in the heart of Clarendon. It's kind of bustling, turned into over 8,000 square feet. And 10 years later, you know, we've had this bar that is just this kind of engine that allowed me to then four years ago, start another company called Mother Sauce Partners, which was a way for me to help entrepreneurs just like myself, people in the restaurant business that wanted to work for themselves, were sick of making money for somebody else, had a passion, had a drive, but needed you know, access to capital and kind of a guiding hand, things that I could have used more of along the way and things when I was able to find that I was grateful to have. So the, the premise of the company was that, making very calculated, slow investments in a small amount of businesses and really investing in the entrepreneurs themselves because ultimately it's really the entrepreneur that will make or break the business you know concepts i always feel like if i find the right person we can just we can just make up a concept you know but finding the right people is really hard and the theory was if we build a few of these businesses then they'll start to build on themselves and that will create more opportunity for us and our investors and you know, four years in, we've got about a half dozen spots. And, and within that timeline, we also decided to, I mean, I also decided to open my own concept, which was sort of a variant from our thesis. But, you know, the the opportunity, the neighborhood, the type of concept was just everything I wanted to do. And it didn't make sense to find somebody else to do it. So I'm doing it. And that will be our kind of, I think it will be the cornerstone of the company. And it's, Called the Freshman. The name was not my idea. Nobody believes that, which I think is fair once you've met me, but it really wasn't. But it did work. And so it stuck. And so that'll be a concept that we we were planning to open it this past spring. Who knows when we'll open it now, but it's ready to go. And it's right across the street from Amazon's HQ2 in an area called National Landing that is kind of this next booming area of DC that we were kind of right at the front edge of the wave down there um to help kind of reinvent this neighborhood. So that kind of is how I got to today.
0: I'm excited for the freshman to open. So <laughs> good. Yeah you gotta come see we'll your furniture. Come, well yeah we'll come visit definitely. I hope you will. One thing that we've done is you know we're passionate about hospitality. So even though Texas reopening, I don't agree with the way that they did it. I do visit restaurants, as many as we can, to support. You know, obviously we sit outside where we can, but sure. you no, know, I want to um, support the industry. I'd rather spend my money on on that than you know, take out via DoorDash or whoever,
1: yeah. you know? Yeah, you stay away from those guys.
0: Well, yeah, and that's something that I wanted, another question I want to ask you is COVID-19 hits, how did you pivot? What did you do? How did you change the things that you were doing? What are you doing differently?
1: So the, the mantra that I've had and that I've been reinforcing with all of our portfolio concepts and, and really with colleagues just across the industry, I mean, I've mean, i been trying to speak to and help as many people as possible and then similarly ask for help from as many people as possible. And the one consistent thing I've said from day one is do whatever you have to do to make sure that you are still in business on the other side. That is the goal. It is that simple. It is that hard, but it is that simple, because fundamentally, nothing you care about, none of the principles of your business, none of your goals—you know, your concern for your employees, your concern for your customers, your concern for yourself, your—you know, concern for your investors—like all of these things that you worry about as a business. Everything is secondary to you still being a business and so the goal was just be there at the other side do whatever you have to do now whatever you have to do has involved gut-wrenching choices i mean i laid off 36 people you know in one day when we closed spider kelly's but we've since brought a lot of them back and a lot of the other ones are on kind of the uh, bonus unemployment program but You know, as gut-wrenching as I was, I felt like, wow, you know, I'm the lucky one because I'm the one doing the layoff. I'm not getting laid off. So as bad as a day it is for me, and it's not nearly as bad as it is for them, what else do I need to do to make sure that I have a business to where I can bring them back? And that's been what I've been trying to drive home to everyone else and adhere to myself. But it involves really hard choices, and it involves, you know, temporarily closing so that you can be open later resisting the urge to reopen if it doesn't feel right, opening a little earlier than you're comfortable. I mean, you know, so the, the, the manifestation of that mantra can be a lot of different things. So, so specifically some of those things we've done, we've seen businesses adapt very quickly to a to-go model. Even our first concept, we helped open Tacoma Beverage Company, which is a neighborhood cocktail coffee concept in a really tight-knit community in DC immediately started doing to-go, but also immediately started doing their own delivery. They have a very small neighborhood that made it easy. So they were like, well, we actually want to control our delivery and we can deliver beer and wine. And the neighborhood leapt on it. And then they very quickly started doing meal replacement kits or whatever you want to call them: Dinner for four, dinner for eight, you know, cook at home, pantry goods. You know, you've seen that manifestation in a lot of places in different forms. Thompson Italian did the same thing. They they closed for two weeks to just kind of take a breath. And then they launched to go for the first time. They'd only been open for nine months. They hadn't even started their to go business yet. So they had to effectively launch a new business in the middle of this with no idea how it would work. And they've been you know, extraordinarily successful and have learned a lot from it. And now it's become an integrated part of what they do. But they still have not opened their dining room, even though they are allowed to, because they don't feel safe doing it. And they don't have a good way to do it, and they're doing enough business to go. So, those are just sort of two examples. I think that a lot of restaurants that are successful right now are making the pivot to some type of to go meal replacement option, but that's just not practical for a lot of restaurants. You know, if you're a tasting menu only restaurant, it's pretty hard to sell your food to go if you're downtown in a heavily commercial district and no one's going to work it's pretty hard to start selling your food to go or do delivery um so not everybody is able to pivot to a model that is generating revenue but i will say that you know the changes that we've made have been successful but only because we're redefining successful you know i like to call it losing less But if losing less means that you stay open longer and you get to see the other side of this, then you're winning. I know that there are some businesses that are actually seeing their sales up year over year right now, but those are anomalies. And I think that anyone that is up right now is benefiting from this particular situation. And therefore, it's quite possible that when we move through this situation, they will subsequently see their sales dip. And so... I think that what we're just trying to do is see a little bit of steady growth, slash our costs, and try and, as I said, just make it to the other side. So that has been kind of the driving force.
0: I mean, you've got the Mother Sauce, but can you tell us a bit about Mother Sauce and how it works, how it operates? Is it a whole team that works in the different lines? Sure.
1: sure. So we're very small. I mean, Mother Sauce is, is me. And then I have a couple of team members that kind of help on a per project basis. So we are basically, we're a a seed stage investment company that makes targeted capital investments that go hand in hand with a significant sweat equity stake in these companies to provide our advisory services and the advisory services manifest in a lot of different forms. And so we, Kind of bring in the resources that we think each concept particularly needs. You know, some of our restaurants don't need any help with kitchen or menu. What they really need help with is like lease um, Some are the opposite. So we try and see what they really need and if they can really benefit from having us involved. And you know, there's a lot of companies out there that I love that we think are great that just weren't a good fit for us. They just either don't need us or what they need. What we think they need, they don't think they need, or you know, there's a. So when we get it right, we become a partner in the company, and the partnering, you know, means that we're we're in it for the long haul, and so we only take on a very small amount of projects. We don't have majority interest in any of these companies. We're not a private equity or you know large venture capital in that sense. We take backseat positions. We just want to know that we're going to be heard. But we try and let the entrepreneurs drive because I think for these smaller restaurants to be successful, the people that own them need to know that they really own the company. Now, there's a risk there because we only have so much influence, but that's why I spend a lot of time sort of vetting these entrepreneurs and really getting a feel for them. And it's, so it's very slow and careful in investments. And then we also are able to attract more capital through our network. So I'm able to reach out to folks that have invested with us in other, invested with us in other projects and say, hey, we really like this. You should consider it. And then we also go out and help the concepts raise their own money. So it's, 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 it's sort of a requirement that they have to be able to go find some of their own money. A lot of times they need the tools. Sometimes it's just a pitch deck. Other times it's, "Hey, we're riding out to go meet this person together, and I'm with you, and we're with you, and we're we're a part of this." To sort of, you know, we try and put our stamp on it and say, "Look, this is this is mother sauce approved. Like we we've vetted this, we've invested some money, we've raised some other money. Like we you can mitigate some of the. We believe we can mitigate some of the risk to newer investors by." having done a lot of the legwork and then in turn, you know, we, we want to be a part of the company because a lot of our work is setting these companies up and getting them open. But then secondary to that, we spend a lot of time on helping maintain successful operations so that, you know, we can try and um, generate a return for investors, but also growth. So, you know, if our concepts are so far down we weeds just trying to get through service every day, it's really hard for them to think about a three to five year plan for their company and go look at locations or talk to real estate brokers or landlords or think about a financing structure for more than one restaurant. That's what we can do. And that's what we do to try and say, look, this is a this is how we can go about this. What do you think we think and et cetera? So it's a really intimate relationship. And that's kind of the way I like it. And I think that it works for the entrepreneurs, but it also means that, you know, we're a little more like slow money. You know, we're not, we're not hammering, we're not pumping these companies full of capital to try and get a big return within, you know, several years. And part of that's because there really are not a lot of, you know, big exits in our business. That's not really how our business works. These are investments that over the you know, horizon of 10 years, can provide really great returns on people's money and be very successful. But it's it's not sort of a, you know, you invest in a tech company, and seven years later, yeah. a big, and that's it. You know, 99% of those investments don't do anything. You just kind of wait around for the one. That's not our model. My intent is for every single one of our projects to be profitable and be successful. Some are gonna grow differently. You know, not all of them are gonna to expand to multiple units. That, that's sort of the thesis, and over the past three or four years, we've been kind of slowly building these units, and you know, now we have one concept, the Eleanor, that has opened a second location, and so it's sort of become a brand, and now we have kind of a holding company for a two-unit company. You know, others... Have expanded within their own footprint. The Beverage Company doubled in size after a year. So, you know, we are seeing some growth within the brands, and that helps us determine okay, well, who do we really want to focus on? Where, where do we want to deploy kind of the next round of capital and in what format do we want to do it? So, that's where we are. That's where we were actually in March. Now, who knows what's happening, right? But that's kind of the, um, how our company works.
0: Nick, do you get involved like with branding, design, furniture, like the whole look and feel, the menu, planning? Yeah, to, to
1: we do particular? so not uniformly, but again, it's really kind of as the concept needs it. Like it could be as simple as I don't think these are the right chairs. I mean, I'd prefer not to be involved in that level of notia. I mean, I think if we get that far down, it could be an indicator that maybe the company is not functioning that well, but We do have a lot of work on sort of the concept and brand as an advisor. And then that can be as much as someone on our team, you know, is in charge of their logo and their brand and their website and their social media. It could be a warm intro to a, you know, design build firm, or it could be, let me sit in on these meetings and kind of tell you what I think if there's some kind of comparative data it could be a lot of work on budgeting. You know, like, look guys, I know that this restaurant would look beautiful in this fashion, but you know, we're, it's too the, the numbers don't work. So how can we kind of retool it? it? There's no, every concept's different, which I really like. I like having a different level of involvement and different needs for each one. I think it keeps it interesting. So we don't have a set kind of formula. And different concepts, as I said, sort of need different things. You know, for menu, for example, two of our concepts are led by chefs. So, you know, for me to sort of get in the kitchen and start saying, well, I'm not really sure that Pappardelle works better here than Tagliatelle is not, it's not productive. And it's, also, no. it's not no. the kind of thing that engenders you to someone who, like, has been a cook their whole life, right? No. So... But, but I do think I can look at the overall menu and be like, listen, how does this menu mix work for what we think your client base will be? So where can you go a little bit outside of the box? And then where do you need to kind of stay within tradition? And how do we kind of create that creative tension? And then also from a cost basis, like is this a menu that's going to make you money or not? You know, that's kind of where, where we are better suited to be involved. And but you know concepts that need a lot of help with the food. I have a partner who is a chef, and so I can say, listen, we're sending in we're we're sending in the team. You know, and you gotta we gotta shape up this menu because what you think might not work, and here's why. And that's a great resource that we're able to provide when it's needed.
0: And um, tell us a bit about Hungry and what it is. And
1: sure, Hungry is a really fantastic company. Hungry was an amazing opportunity for Mother Sauce to. I knew that the core of our business would be brick and mortar, sort of food service establishments. And I think that that will continue to be in the future, certainly with Opening Freshmen. I wanted to provide a platform where we can be involved in other companies that are sort of food related. And just to diversify, it's an opportunity for us to learn more, share resources, et cetera. So Hungry came along as a company based here in Arlington, just outside of DC and it was an opportunity for us to invest then also advise so this is a this is a technology platform for catering that allows companies to go to one website and order hundreds of different meals for their team members through a network of you know hundreds of different independent chefs so it provides a steady revenue stream for these independent small scale contract caterers who sign on to the platform, and then you come up with a meal. They come up with meal plans, and you, as a customer, order a meal through this website that says, well, we'd really love to do an Ethiopian buffet today, or we want turkey sandwiches today, or everybody wants barbecue for the week before the 4th of July, and you can get all of it through one platform. And hungry controls the delivery, so the food is delivered the same way in the same format every time with all the same procedures. So companies really love it. It handles this amazing pain point for office admins who are always tasked with having to order food. You know, no one's ever happy, right? Somebody who, people who love the food, that food always shows up late. The food that always shows up on time, nobody likes. It just was this incredible pain point. And they are fixing it. And they were doing it extraordinarily well. Um, They've obviously been affected significantly by... COVID, but they're also a company that had, you know, just closed a series B round of funding. So they're doing okay and they're able to use their savvy, these are seasoned entrepreneurs, to pivot and maintain a level of success even through this time. And then what's been really fun for me is that they didn't have anybody from the restaurant business um, initially as part of their company. And it was an opportunity for us to say, listen, you know, you don't speak chef, we speak chef. Here's how you need to work with this network of independent chefs in your system. And then here's, you know, your menus need to read like menus, not like ingredient lists. And, and that was really fun. And they've, you know, they've responded quickly and now they have an incredibly robust hospitality team working for them. So a lot of what we're focused on now is how can we help grow to other cities and adjust them kind of be with them as they expand and that's been a lot of fun so it's a really really great company and i hope that they're able to figure out how to be successful in the kind of like post-covid world but i have no doubt they will be just given the the makeup of their team Um, and what did they
0: close nick on their series b are you able to disclose that
1: 20 million
0: that's great and it's U.S. based only, or is it, does it have right to- now? They're right now they're U.S.
1: based. I think they were in about nine cities: Mid, Texas, they're in Austin. I think they were looking at Dallas. They may have paused. So they expanded pretty rapidly this year with a much more aggressive expansion plan. There has been some talk of expanding internationally, but as far as I know, that has not happened yet.
0: Looking at Sweet Greens and how they um, pivoted their model towards like locker catering, like instead of going into store, how's Hungry going to pivot? Because a lot of people aren't working in offices right now.
1: Yeah, so they I mean they've had some success, they launched sort of Hungry at Home, so you can get a meal for eight for a, a flat fee. It's uh I guess eight people for $100, you have to check on that. But eight people for $100, you get a full meal delivered to your house, contactless, you know, made by a chef, ready to go. That and is that's really
0: good. good. That's yeah. I, I want to order that. It's
1: that's- great. It's really popular. The other thing that they've done is they're saying, they're reaching out to a lot of these companies and saying, hey, you guys are trying to stay in touch with your employees while they're at home. You're doing virtual happy hours, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't you send them some food? Why don't you send your team lunch and then you guys can all eat your box lunch together virtually? You know, Hungry has, because they, they handle the food production, but also the delivery, that gives them a pretty amazing advantage logistically that a lot of other companies just don't have. And so they're able to do that. But one of the biggest things they were able to do is early on secure some very significant contracts with, local governments. So the city of New York has them on contract to provide thousands and thousands of meals a day to homebound citizens in New York city. So they're providing a critical resource to the community while also able to, you know, maintain a revenue stream. And one of the reasons they were able to do that is because they can tell the city of New York, like, listen, we'll not only produce the food to your standards, but we we have the delivery part too. We, we got it. And that's a, A reflection of just how well the company was set up, but also how quickly the leaders of the company, their CEO, Jeff Grass in particular, is able to just adapt to the conditions on the ground, change, and be whatever the market needs. And I think that that's a testament to his ability as a a CEO and a reason why you know this is the I think third or fourth company that he's, he's started and grown to be successful. So you're seeing a lot of veteran leadership at a time when they really need it. And I, and I think that, you know, look long-term if the, if the office catering market contracts, if we're talking about a, I think it's like a 70 or $80 billion industry, if it contract, contracts a lot, they are still a disruptive force in that industry there is still a lot of room for them to be successful ultimately so i i have a lot of faith that they're going to weather this just fine um learn from it be ready for it you know if god forbid it happens again but i think that you know people are still eventually going to return to work it may be limited but people will still need to go to work and companies will still want to provide resources, including food, to their employees. I don't see that being gone forever. I see it on us, for sure. But I don't believe the future of work involves nobody in an office with no food being provided. Um, I think at some point we will return to that.
0: No, there will be some return, like just maybe adapted slightly sure. modified, but-
1: Yeah, right. What will be the new normal? Trust me, we're asking ourselves that every day.
0: Every day. And, Nick, people that are wanting to start out in the food industry that are looking at pursuing a career in hospitality, I mean, what advice would you give your younger self or someone who wants to start out? Don't do it.
1: No, I can't say that. I would say the benefit that I think that young people have now that I didn't have when I was younger is that this career is seen as a viable and valuable career people can see that there are ways to be successful and they they can see that it's kind of um you know it's cool as opposed to sort of when i started out it was you know no one no one i knew that went to that was you know fortunate enough to go to a university was considering a career in hospitality just wasn't a thing there were no recruiters on campus for restaurants I had to sort of discover it. I think the benefit that young people have now is that they don't. That said, my, my advice would be be patient. I think that that applies to really anybody who's young and I would say sort of in your 20s. Be really patient with your career and be, be okay with it being non-linear especially if you want to be an entrepreneur in the restaurant business or in any business. I think that, you know, my path was really circuitous and there were years where I felt lost. I felt very lost. I think you have to be ready for that and try and be okay with that because you will find your way through it. You have time. And I think in order to be successful, you need to try a few things that don't work and be okay with that. But all the while, Along the way, I think you need to do your best to try and learn as much as possible and collect as many people as possible. So the guy that hired me at the Clarendon Grill, you know, 20 something years ago, ended up being one of my largest investors in one of my projects, because in part, I developed a relationship with him when I was so young, I didn't know anything. But I knew that this was someone who had done what I wanted to do. He had opened his own restaurant and it seemed to be going well. So I didn't know what I needed from him, but I knew I needed to be near him. And so I tried to stay near him and I tried to learn and I tried to say, well, what can I do to help him? Maybe nothing, but I'm gonna try. And I think that the the value of, of, of keeping those relationships strong and keeping people close, because you don't know when you're gonna really need them, you don't know when they're gonna come in handy. And at the time you're learning stuff, you don't even know what you're learning and the value of it. But it's good to just people around you that you can use as a resource. Um, so I would, I would strongly encourage that. And then the other thing I would encourage anyone going into our business is to, to be humble and be ready to do work. You know, I have, I, I'm, I'm not a chef. I have not been trained professionally, but I can I not look like a fool behind the line. I know where to stand and I know where to don't stand. I know what to do. I know what not to do. And that's because I was humble and I listened and I knew, I, I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. And so I just tried to let people show me. And I think that that gives me the ability to connect with chefs who, you know, I think look at me skeptically, you know, who's this sort of you know, white-collar dude coming back here in the kitchen, like he knows what's what's going on. And, I, and I've met with a healthy dose of skepticism, which I think is fair, but I, I believe that I'm able to navigate through that because, you know, I stayed humble and I did the work. I know exactly how to clean out a grease trap. I know how gross it is. I know how to mop floors. I know how to snake toilets. I know how to do all of that stuff. And I did it. And I think that being willing to do the really hard work create a lot of loyalty amongst people who work for you if you get to the point where you're fortunate enough to have people working for you. But it also gives you the ability to learn every layer of your business. I think it's important, just as I think that everyone, anyone who works in any industry should at least spend some time working in customer service in the restaurant business. Everyone should wait tables or be a barista or be a bartender or be a host because you gotta know what it's like to deal with people but if you really want to be in our business specifically, you got to spend some time in the back too. You know, you got to unpack the deliveries and do the tough work. It will provide you a return on that investment that is almost incalculable. And so I was kind of working behind the line and cleaning the grease trap. But the, the things that I learned doing that are still really valuable to me today and what I do.
0: And Nick, are you a reader? What books do you recommend or podcasts to listen to that people can learn from?
1: I don't listen to a lot of podcasts and I don't read a lot of books about my industry. I probably should still confess. I don't have that much to offer on that. I have watched two or three episodes of Padma Lakshmi's new show on Hulu, Taste the Nation. I love it. She's going around and sampling American cuisine that is in some ways traditional, but also in some ways what's not considered traditional. And I think that the ability for her to connect with real sort of long-time lifers in the restaurant business has been really great. So I think if you watch that, you get to see some good kind of, you know, how it's really done as opposed to, you know, Top Chef or Chopped or whatever those kind of shows. Um, this is wrong with those shows, but I, you don't you're not really going to learn a lot. I mean, look, if you haven't read, if, you, if someone who wants to be in the restaurant business still hasn't read Kitchen Confidential, I'd be amazed, but you should read it and you should watch all of Anthony Bourdain's shows. You know, rest in peace. I think that the podcasts and stuff and the books that I read, again, are, you know, I, I read a lot of novels. I read The New Yorker um, every week and I listen to a lot of podcasts about film and music just because those are my hobbies. So I guess I would say continue to be. People should continue to be generalists and they should try and learn as much as they can because even if you're reading an article you know, about rising sea levels in the Pacific, you could learn something that you could bring back to your own specific industry, even if it's the restaurant industry. I think that there's a great value in learning a lot about a lot of things. I think you don't always know how you'll be able to translate that knowledge and look, you know, the work that we do in our business is really hard. So if, if you want your podcast to be escapes, then they should be just that as well.
0: And then, Nick, what we will close on is, we'll ask how we can find you. How can people learn more about you? So sure. You think about the blog, Insta, LinkedIn, whatever it is. You can yeah, no, I'll you mention are. that.
1: Yeah. So we have a, our, our website, mothersaucepartners.com, provides a lot of information about our company. And then on that website, there's a blog section where I try and write a lot of my thoughts that are, you know, pretty industry specific. Lately, I've switched to a video blog format. I will see if that lasts. I, I confess, I'm not terribly comfortable with that medium, but it is an opportunity for you to hear what's really going on in my head. You know, what 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 have I been thinking, and what am I seeing? in my industry over the past few months it's unfiltered and unscripted so you know take it for what it's worth and then i'm you know personally on twitter and instagram it's at mother sauce boss and again a lot of those those thoughts come through quite unfiltered so take them for what they're worth Um, but those are the best ways to kind of see what we're up to and what the companies are up to and you can see the full portfolio on the website and then you know from there you can check out each different concept and and see how everybody's managing.
0: Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the show to hear from more amazing people in the industry. Visit our website at stylenations.com to see more stories about our guests featured on our blog. We love sharing their stories and bringing people together.